true melody, come true melanin. Come true melody, come true melanin. <laughs> yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to My Melanin, where we discuss how the social determinants of health affect us as black people. I am one of your hosts, Muhammad, and I'm here with... You're here with Jade? I'm here with Dina. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Come true melanin. Come true melody. Come true melanin. Welcome back to My Melanin, where we talk about the social determinants of health as they pertain to being black on the East Coast. I got with me a special guest host today, Nandi Chikwe for the people. Hello, hello. Nandi. Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, and today's today's guest is none other than Dorico Simmons. Um, Dorico is a fearless advocate for racialized and marginalized communities in Halifax. Dorico is the IDEA advisor for the BIPOC Tribe Network and Innovation Hub. He's the first inaugural director of opportunity and belonging at NASCAD. He's a founding member of three nonprofit organizations in Halifax. Dorico Simmons holds an undergraduate degree in child and youth study and a master's in education and counseling through Acadia University. Dorico also has his Canadian counseling certification through the Canadian Counseling and Physiotherapy Association of Canada. Dorico, what's going on, brother? Yo, yo, yo. Happy to be here. Happy to be here, especially talking about this. Um, yes, sir. Yes. So today's topic, um, you know, one that I think we're all sort of familiar with, especially over the last, I'd say, year and a half. We're going to talk about race and racism. So I'm going to kick us off with with the first question, Dorico. What do you think Black people have to do uh, to prepare themselves to be in professional spaces, especially in today's climate? Well, I mean, there's a lot in there. So, um, so a couple a couple things. First is, I mean, whose definition of professional um, are we are we are we going by? I think that's a, a bit of a subjective uh, term as well. And and, yeah. and you know, so. I'll start with I'll start with this. I like to start backwards and then kind of lead into the question, um, you know, about preparing to go into professional spaces. So society itself, in its inception of all of the stuff that we're seeing, we're all are all sort of symptoms of colonization. A lot of it, um, and society itself was not in its inception designed to actually work for people of color. It wasn't designed to work for Black people. And so in these places and spaces and systems, in their inception, they were never designed for us. And so now when we're thinking about what we have to do to prepare ourselves to actually go into these places and spaces that were not meant for us, um, <clears throat> what are we, like, if you ever think about, like, consciously, what is it that we're actually adapting to? Are we assimilating mm-hmm. to um, a particular place and space that we know doesn't fit us? Um, and then we kind of have to put on put on to actually go into that space. And so, you know, going into these professional spaces, there's mental preparation. I do it often, like, and, and I've stopped, but like changing the way that I speak and the way that I talk, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, like I've been told by previous managers, like you have to act like a manager, you have to dress like a manager. And this is, this was by white people. And so there's a mental preparation to thinking about um, and hoping that there's going to be other black folks in that space. Then there's like a physical sort of uh, preparation around like, yeah, I check like how am I dressed? Um, am I do it? Am I dressed to sort of uh, uh, fit professional? Um, and then, you know, there's a bit of an emotional check too before I walk in and then as well during uh, being in the places and spaces. Also, you know, there's sort of like the racism radar that's just always on uh, when you're in these places of like, 
making sure that what is being said to you and what is being fed to you also uh, is not uh, something that's offensive, let mm-hmm. alone actually being in the meeting. Um, and so like all of these things that we prepare uh, to go into the meeting and then trying to be mentally present in the meeting uh, as, a, as a black person. And so, you know, there's all, all kinds of parts of me that have changed and sort of just I'm being myself now when I go into places and spaces because I'm not at a place anymore where I feel like I I feel like and I never really felt this way but like I don't want to conform to something that was never built for me in the first place and so walking into these spaces now this is me and this is what you're going to get but yeah. all that mental preparation and physical and emotional stuff still does happen don't get me wrong but um you know we have to think about it I think about it differently yeah I mean, I, I think I agree 100% in the sense of when you said whose definition of professional are we, are we talking about? Um, and I, I, I couldn't help but smile when you meant the, when you said the point of when you're preparing to get into these spaces, uh, having the thought of, Oh, I hope somebody there looks like me, bro. Like that's something that I can't, I never even thought that I think about all the time, but I think about all the time. So in that, so I guess with that, how would you say you got to that point where, um, you know, your part of your preparation isn't to do with that, you know, what we just talked about, but is now, you know, you're going in as yourself over everything. Right. So like, who's not, who's to say that like me wearing a chain isn't professional, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, as an aside, like how I sort of <clears throat> got to this point is that I've, I've lived my entire life sort of have having to be like, Two different people like the person mm-hmm. that i am when i'm like in the hood or i'm with my black friends or like i'm, I'm with a group of mainly black people is who i really am mm-hmm. um, but then having to sort of live my life understanding that i have to go into these other uh, spaces with the subjective view of professional that um was created by white folks and so i have to adapt who i am um and so as i you know i would say like as I sort of came into who I am and who I was going to be for the rest of my life during my university years, that's when it really solidified and clicked for me is that like, wait a second, like, why am I, why am I sort of conforming um, to these notions and why am I changing uh, who I am to be in these spaces? And so, you know, I would say that it came with a lot of variance, of course, of racism, but then a lot of just like thinking and reflecting of, I shouldn't have to change who I am to, to go into a meeting and, you know, I shouldn't have to change the way that I do things and the way that I move based on other people's definitions of what professionalism is. Yeah, I, I think I, I definitely um, I align with those thoughts for sure. And I think part of part of the, the challenge that I'm having now is getting out of the performing in terms of being in these spaces and getting into just that being part of part of the whole like part of who I am. But I think. Also, with all that being said, it's it's why are we doing those things? It's it's because we're sort of anticipating racism, right? In some capacity, or in some form. Well, it's 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 also about survival. Um, like you know, we among other racialized folks um, have some of the most resilient stories and the most resilient ancestry, um, and I believe that translates into our into our DNA. And so, you know, we understand that there's certain things that we have to do um, to survive. Um, and spaces and places that were not made for us. We could call it performing, but I would call it survival um, because mm-hmm. we learn to adapt to the situations um, and the circumstances around us in order to survive. 
Um, we understand that there's a game that has to be played here. We understand that society in its inception wasn't made for us. And so how am I able to get to the places and spaces and climb the ladders so that I'm able to then pull some more of my people up there? Well, I might have to play the game for a minute. I might have to, I might have to survive. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't call it performing. I would say it's survival. Uh, we are, we're adapting here. So then when I get there, I'm going to pull five more people up with me. And then yeah. now it's a black space. Yeah. Um, back to the, one of the points you made just about everything that we're, well, the society we live under or the spaces that we, we now see, we now are a part of all being built off colonialism, having never been built for us. Um, what would you say are some of the myths about racism that we see in our society today in terms of, you know, some of the pushback we see about people that say it isn't real, um, and sort of how that ties into colonialism? Because we, we had a chat right before we started the episode about how this all ties in together and not, not like nothing is, is separate. Um, so yeah, how, how, how just breaking down some of the myths that we hear and, and, and what the reality behind racism in the past and in today's time, uh, what it is and what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of people um, that are common and say that like racism isn't real or black people are always pulling the race card. Uh, I've had people, this race hustle, like we need to stop this. Um, everybody is, uh, everybody is equal, that sort of thing. And, you know, it's racism. Racism is, is a myth to those people that don't experience it. Um, racism is a myth to the people who don't want to actually understand it. Um, and if you don't want to understand it and you don't want to try, then, 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 you know, then you won't. And so, you know, when we actually break down, um, when, when society sort of started societies or when white folks colonized places and spaces, like you use this example is like, um, the policing system was actually, um, uh, it began policing in North America began as uh, RCMP began as taking uh, white men, taking indigenous children from their homes and then formalizing the RCMP. We know today policing in North America began as slave catchers and night watch and formalizing the policing system we know today. And so when, and, you know, I just want to be clear for folks when I say that these systems and, and were not built for us in inception, they actually weren't. And so now when we, when we get the present day, um, racism is nuanced. And so it's not, somebody calling you the n-word right to your face although some people do um it's not somebody calling you uh racial slurs or derogatory terms it's it's uh well he's from said area or said community i can't pronounce his name so i'm probably not going to hire this person their name is difficult to pronounce so you know what i i i i'm, I'm not going to invite this person in for uh in for an interview um it's policies that are exclusionary um and it's not as overt and so, you know, there's there's a, a, a nuance and a complexity to racism that if you're not looking for it and if you don't understand it then you just you won't see it because it's not at your doorstep. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's 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 one example that I want to give that people in Halifax may have been aware of when there was a video um, that was posted uh, a couple of weeks ago about an, an officer pulling pulling a gun out on an unarmed black man. I don't know if we mm-hmm. want to go there yet, but it's up to you if we can. I just want to explain the we got time. We have time. We, got we have time. time. We got time. Okay. okay. So, so, you know, for folks who didn't see the video, there's an altercation and there's an assault that happens. An officer arrives on scene, didn't see any of that assault that we saw in the video. There's four people in the video, two are black, two are white, two are in the car. And here's where the nuance of racism 
and bias kicks in is that that officer arrives, he sees he sees the black person first. They make eye contact. He asks him, what are you guys doing arguing? And then instantly pulls his gun out, gets in the police stance and points the gun at him. Meanwhile, there's two white guys that are in the car whom during the, the gun being pointed at the black man are picking up the same items that the black man was touching, but does not get the gun pointed at him. Does, and the officer says, I will fill you full of mm-hmm. effing lead. That's mm-hmm. what the officer said, not my words. And so, you know, I want to I just want to I want to say that story because people looking at that video um, who may not have a lens of a racialized person might not understand that how that could be racist. Um, or how they could be biased, arrive to a scene and then immediately seeing black person when there's four people there pulling the gun out on him when he has his hands up in the air. And so, you know, the differences between racism years ago is that racism now in some cases is overt, but in a lot of cases it's covert racism. It's disguised in policies and it's disguised uh, in ways that are still uh, uh, oppressive uh, places mm-hmm. and spaces when we look at board of directors, when we look at who are holding all of, uh, um, you know, the managerial positions and governments and different and different uh, uh, positions, the old boys sort of network, those are all again nuanced ways of, of, of how racism works. On that, Namdi, what, 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 did you have a? Yeah, no, I, I was just enjoying listening because uh, every time I hear Dorico speak, it's always like a story, like a great story to, to listen to, right? So, highest like mm-hmm. uh, his his way of explaining and describing describing events and making things very very clear for everyone to understand um so like moving into our next question i know you're just uh probably getting getting to it uh in terms of how people uh respond to racism knowing that those who think racism is a myth are those that don't experience it so my my question is um how have you and how have you seen people respond to racism like growing up and uh what what are some ways in which you have yourself developed ways to sort of cope with acts of racism um as you go through life and through all your different uh endeavors uh well you know i've seen i'd say like a gamut of responses people respond to racism in a helpful manner or um a a sort of a uh, emotional manner of like, and, 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 and so this is like white folks who may have seen it happen or understood it to, to happen. So responding in like an emotional manner, responding, uh, like crying and not knowing what to do, feeling empathy, feeling upset and like sort of solution oriented. And then there's sort of the other side where um, I'm gaslighted to the max uh, of like, you know, it didn't happen. Why are they pulling the race card? So many DMs of like, uh, yeah. like threats and like, so many like different comments of like saying that it didn't happen even like to the point of someone i have i still have no idea like i get phone calls all the time from like unknown numbers at weird hours of the night and like i i um when when i called out halifax regional police in the video like i i got uh, text messages from a number i don't know who it is uh mm-hmm. it says it's the rico and I was like, who is this? And then they posted my address and said, if I can find this, so can other people. And I never found out who that person was. And so, like, there's a whole bunch of different responses to, like, I guess, calling it out. And so, you know, how I deal with it, a lot of it I sort of laugh off. Like, I've gotten to the point where I, I kind of, like, laugh it off. You know, it's extremely serious stuff and it's extremely, like, heavy when you experience it. And, you know, I, I'll admit, like, there was times for sure during this year but like I would be driving to work or driving home and like I'd just be crying 
Mm-hmm. And like I would just be like mad upset, like not understanding. I mean, you know, I, I can I can I can break it down and understand, but just thinking like, you know, at a simplistic level, these things are happening to myself or like my friends or my people just because our skin color is different. Like like it's 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 insanity, like when you think about it. And so, you know, I say that like I have a good understanding in terms of like my mental health and like checking in and and coping. But like there are times when things are just like so traumatic, like I understand trauma. And one of the signs is like if you're just sort of crying for like almost no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I have a good sort of handle on coping strategies, but like racism, man, like it gets it gets to be a lot like so, uh, too much sometimes. And I mean, I mean, we kind of grew up around each other. You're a little older. We would have seen it like literally at every level. Right. And I mean, university, like oh. at home you know, in the boardroom, like you said, when now at the, at the professional level of our lives. So it does get to be a lot. I can definitely sort of sympathize or, or relate to, to that feeling. Um, I'll say it's different to our experiences because I grew up in, I grew up in Nova Scotia as well, but like an immigrant. So for me, my parents was, they were learning about the racism of North America the same way I was. There wasn't sort of that talk where you have with your kid telling them what to expect in the real world when they when they leave the neighborhood area you know it was my dad would come home not understanding why somebody would talk to him the way they did or or react to him the way they do so it's just crazy that at this point you know you you just kind of you have to learn to to sort of brush it off and and like you said earlier you can either take that emotional side or or you can you can take the productive side of it and it's sort of your choice but does get to be a lot yeah 100 percent. i mean like i i'll always go down swinging uh especially like especially if it's around racism and especially if it's for like uh, my friends and my people like always go down swinging like willing to take one on the chin like i'll lose a job over it like um mm-hmm. it's it's and you know i'm uh, I can't remember what that line is from uh, the Black Panther movie uh, around uh, uh, bondage and, and, and you'd rather die than be in bondage. Something around that. Like, yeah, um, the, the Michael <laughs> Michael B. Jordan line. It was a crazy yeah, line. Yeah. Like, um, you know, so I would say that, like, one of my coping mechanisms for sure um, is pouring in into community work and taking, like, mm-hmm. taking that energy, that anger, that pain all of that um and and kind of giving it to the people where it's well received um and trying to equip younger generations trying to educate share my experiences uh, and build something from that um because the way i look at this is that my ancestors people that are still alive they had the baton and they ran as far as they could with it um until the time that they expired and so i pick it up and i'm going to run as fast and as far as i can with it and then when I expire, there's going to be a new generation of young black people that are going to pick it up and do the same. And so, you know, if we date it back uh, when our people were in Africa um, and were brought over here forcefully, people there, like if they were just like, nah, I'm good, like we wouldn't be here having this conversation. Um, yeah. So they grabbed the baton, they ran it as far as they could and so on and so on. And so. I just it's 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 my it's our responsibility to continue yeah. to run as far as we can. That line is uh, bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships because they knew that death was better than bondage. That's the one gives me hard, hard, yeah. 
Every time, man. Every time. Like, I, you know, I, I, I think about, you know, I, and the conversation might go here, so maybe I'm jumping the gun, but, like, mm-hmm. I, I even think about, like, the concept of allyship. If I'll use, like, Namdi, for example, like, like we're all friends, but, like, you know, <laughs> imagine Namdi saying I'm Dorico's friend without me even agreeing. Um, like I hear people saying I'm an ally to the black community and like, but like, when did we agree upon this? Exactly. Yeah. Allyship is not a finite destination. It's not something you can just arrive at. Um, it's a lifelong commitment. I'm black for the rest of my life. And so if you want to be an ally, you have to strap in for the rest of your life the same way that I have to be black yeah. forever. I agree with that. Yeah. Like they have to be in, be in the trenches, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. front lines doing the work. Cause you really want to, really want to experience or have have the full experience unless you're right there with your with with your so-called friends right so of course of course i mean i mean uh uh you know i think like like think about this way is like what does whiteness mean right like like when we're like when we're actually talking about racism like yeah if you you, because one might say that over this past year uh, with 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 George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and the list continuing, people now because of video cameras are getting a small glimpse of what it's like to to be black. And the closer that white folks can understand what does it mean to be white, it centers you closer to getting a glimpse of what it under what it what it is to be black. Because if you understand whiteness, you understand all of the atrocities that have happened historically, um, and you understand who the oppressor is and has been. And I just think it's an important, it's an interesting thing to think about uh, because I could explain what it means to be black with all the joy, all the hurt, all the pain. Um, but do we examine what is whiteness? What does that mean? How did we construct that? Yeah. And sure. so how, how do you think that sort of racism translates to our well-being as black people in terms of, and not even professional public spaces, but, Things like just normal things like getting a job, going to a going to an establishment, you know, bars, just like, you know what it's like to sort of walk into a bar or the lineup of a, of an establishment to get in, look in a certain way and, and, you know, in the best of cases, get looks, you know, or what have you in the worst of cases, not be let in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, how do you think that's affected just the mental health of, of our community as a, as a whole? and and that was just a small example of, of the type of, you know, uh, microaggressions that people experience. But yeah, for sure. I love I love the question and I, and I love where this discussion is going to go because uh, I'm really big on mental health. And so, you know, I, I think that I think that it's it's like being it's like being abused over and over and over again, uh, like like every day. Uh, and so, you know. We, we could easily like comprehend, we could easily comprehend um, if somebody said I was physically abused or I was sexually abused. Like we can comprehend what that trauma might be that someone is going through. But it's hard for people to comprehend and understand how it would affect your mental health if you experience racism over and over again. And so taking the example of being abused, we can, we can, we can comprehend and visualize how somebody might be hurting. So you're being traumatized every single day, every single day, every single week. That's cumulative, um, cumulative and collective trauma um, that you're experiencing. And so, you know, the, 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 the apprehension that you might have when you're in a room with a police officer 
the apprehension that you might have, even if a police officer just waves and, and is very nice to you, you might not know where that's coming from, but you have cumulative and collective trauma because you may have had bad experiences with white men in uniform. Um, and so, you know, I think that it's, it directly impacts um, our mental health and we know that our mental health affects our physical health. And so overall, racism experiencing these microaggressions over and over and over and over again has a significant impact on the yeah. way that we walk through society. I think the big one too for me is university, like university spaces that that aren't really safe for, mm-hmm. for people of color in terms of, you know, just those microaggressions being uh, like so prevalent. I mean, over the last like three years, I can't, I can't even count how many universities I've heard, I've heard stories come out of, you know, black people or, or uh, exchange, not exchange students, but um, uh, international students not being, you know, necessarily or quote unquote welcome in the spaces that are technically supposed to be, or, or literally supposed to be academic spaces for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Uh, go ahead, Namdi. Yeah, no, I was just going to add on to the point of the, uh, the uh, term microaggression. So, uh, with the Brotherhood, we had like, uh, this, this barber talk, uh, bar- this barbershop talk series happened over the course of January and February. And one of the speakers was Lisa Dennis, who we actually had on the podcast. That's episode three, mm-hmm. mental health. Um, <clears throat> and she was discussing the, the term, the, the, the terminology around how we, how we describe our experiences and, the idea of putting micro in front of aggression already sort of dismisses the sort of um, interactions that, that we have in everyday life. So I just, I just wanted to add that point in where, 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 you know, microaggression or, mi- or micro assault is already sort of dismissive in, in the, in our world of whiteness in our society. So if we start changing, changing, change the, change, change the term to just aggression, because again, as Dorico was explaining, like uh, sexual assault, we don't call it a sexual micro assault, regardless to whatever degree it is, right? So yeah. it's just yeah. like a an, an an idea or a, or a thought of how we start narrating our experiences um, for you know for the for the grander public to understand and really really see the severity of these actions on on our people. No, that's a that's a great point, Namdi. No, really good point. I haven't, um, I hadn't thought about that and I hadn't heard that before, but now I'm sitting here like, yeah, like, you know, that, 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 that definitely dis- de- uh, diminishes, um, you know, what I, what I could have experienced. Uh, how many people have said you should grow an Afro? Can I touch your hair? Like even in university, like people, um, like as long, I played on the basketball team. And so, uh, like the first like two years, like people couldn't pronounce my name. So they would call me cuz. Because they didn't, they right. cannot pronounce my they name. They call you I'm, I'm not making this up, man. I'm not making this up. Um, the black people, obviously, like you know, they 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 had no problem. Uh, but if you if you didn't know how to pronounce my name, you could have just asked. But I was just I, they called me cuz. Yeah, my bad for mis for mispronouncing your name at the start too. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> just just gotta throw that out there. My bad, bro. No problem. No problem. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I cut you off there. Continue. Continue. No, it's, it's, it's just that like, it's, uh, it, as if it's sort of just commonplace. Um, you know, I can't pronounce your name. I'll make one up for you. Well, yeah. you know where, you, you know where that happened before, right? Historically. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Made yeah. a name up for you. Exactly. Um, and it carried through. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's just like a really, 
you know, when we think about health, um, because I know that this is like a lot of sort of the focus and, and like what, what you'll talk about, like it, like it actually affects every aspect um, of, uh, of, of your health. And like, you know, the, the, the place I literally felt the best and I was blessed enough to be able to travel there, but I, I was, I was in Africa for five days. Um, and, uh, we're best in Africa though. Yeah. yeah I, I gotta ask, where, where'd you go, bro? We're <laughs> speaking to two Africans. So we got <laughs> our different ends of the, I, I was in, uh, I was in West Africa in, uh, proper, proper, uh, Hold on. Namdi's uh, ends. Yeah, that's my ends. My you ends. You gotta come so. back to me. Like, just give it's me okay. A- <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it Sierra Leone? No, no. Um, I was in a. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna Ghana. That as we're ta- as we're talking, uh, I'm gonna find it as we're talking. Um, no, but, fair enough. I, I'll tell you, like, it was the 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 best I've ever felt because I've never been I've never been in a place ever where I was the majority. Like that was the first time, um, mm-hmm. and so. When I when I got off the plane, um, like I instantly just started like tearing up, and I was like, "Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on!" Like I had to like check in for a second because I was I've never been around in a country where everybody is black, and so then coming back uh, to Halifax, and then like kind of like that feeling going away, like, "Oh, geez, wait a second! Like everybody here is like it, it was just like a really uh, distinct difference and a di- different feeling." Um, being in a place and space uh where everybody looks like you no matter where you go yeah it's it's interesting you say that just with my experience in terms of growing up to immigrant parents growing up in east africa like the racism my parents understood was more of like a colonial racism they understood like you know when the europeans came and colonized different parts of africa and what they did like senegal is that where dakar were you in dakar yes yeah. Yes, that's sick. That's sick. But I was saying, um, so when my parents came over, just their idea of racism was very different. But it was in the sense of like the colonial context. They understood when, in terms of Somalia, when the Italians came, what they did, how they reacted, how they treated people, and then the subsequent immigrant migration of Somalians to Italy, how they're treated in Italy, and all that. So coming here, the racism being completely different. A lot of microaggression and like you know somebody says something to you in a backhanded way as opposed to directly to you Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. in terms of when you were in africa that i guess i would say that lack of pressure of racism that like you know not having to worry about that at all um yeah yeah because it's both right it's it's neither or because at the end of the day yeah talk about that a little bit man it was like so, so I was there on, uh, like with like United Nations. And so like, I was like one person from Canada, uh, they got to go and there were other young black people from different parts of the world and then different parts of Africa. Um, and so when we got there, um, again, I'm still like tripping that I'm in Africa. Um, and so I was talking to like some of the, some of the other young people, uh, from there and they were telling me a bit about, it was the first time I heard about tribalism. Um, and mm-hmm. so that was like a really interesting conversation. Uh, but they're like, you know, like now, like racism is really not a thing here. Like if anything, it's, it's, it's tribalism. And it was like a freeing experience to kind of just like be exactly who I am in every space and not have to worry and not even experience any type of racial slights at all. That, Um, yeah, that, that point does bring up that these places definitely do have their faults with regards to mm -hmm. division. division Yeah. But, but it's never about 
it's never about what you look like, right? It's, yeah. it's never about literally the color of your skin. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah but uh, like it was, it was like it was a cool experience, and it was like it's one that I'll never forget, just because I've never, I've never had that feeling of being in a place where, like, I had to try hard and wait hours if I even wanted to spot like one white person. Like it was just, it, just, it was, it was like different. It was, it was a different feeling. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely a goal of mine in the next five years. I I haven't been back to Africa since I since we immigrated here. What about you, Namdi? Yeah, about the same. Actually, I went when I was probably about nine or ten, but I haven't been back since. And yeah, I've been, I mean, I've, I've I went to Ghana a few years ago. Actually, now it's just a great experience because again, you know, just being surrounded by everyone that's black, like mm-hmm. you, you don't get that anywhere. Like you really don't get that, get that anywhere unless you're with your homies or like your, your uh, family and stuff like that. But other than that, like where, like in a country where you yeah, go to the grocery the, store, not on, not on that scale. Market, it's just like all black faces everywhere. It's, 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 an, it's an experience that you really can't, uh, can't, can't describe. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, you know, whether you're, whether you're in the motherland or whether you're kind of like with your group of friends who are all black, there's sort of like, like a mental safety break. net sort of yeah thing. yeah like there's a mental break and like a mental safety net because i think that's you know, what white people feel like all the time yeah <laughs> it's like out, out there in the real world just like out there walking around they, like, they don't have the code switch you know <laughs> it's like it's like a, a, a like a mental uh mental break but also like a mental protection because like if, if when i'm when i am with like a group of my friends and everyone's black i don't have to I'm not on guard. Like I'm not on guard and I'm not like trying to watch for like racial slights and I'm not trying to like decipher and like, I'm not trying to like put on, I'm just kind of myself. And so it's like, it's a break, but it's also like somewhat of like a mental protection. Yeah. Facts. I, I, I can, I'm on that for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a different experience for sure. It's always funny too, like whenever I'm in uh, public spaces and stuff like that. So actually, I just uh, started a new position uh, with the Nova Scotia Health Authority or Nova Scotia Health. And um, one thing that I always, I'm, I'm always oh, looking for. What's the position? Uh, yeah, this guy just yeah, skipped yeah, over. Pause, this guy pause, just skipped bad, over. All right, so the the, the position is uh, primary health care coordinator with the with the Department of Family Practice. Wow. Yeah, so essentially, I'll be helping. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so uh, I just started. So, like, part of my prof- part of my portfolio and stuff like that is uh, helping family cl- clinics and family family physicians, as well as some community health too. So, honestly, the world's my oyster, is from what my uh, supervisors are telling me. So, hopefully, I can uh, bring my own little twist to it, and and uh, you know, just keep keep doing keep doing doing the hard work, I guess. But back to what I was uh, saying about uh, starting new starting new positions or even like starting school or any sort of like new 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 uh, endeavor where I'm going to be in a new in, in a new space. I'm always looking to see how many you know persons of mm-hmm. well we'll say minorities because you know um, I know like my, I know the odds are pretty much next to none of uh, <clears throat> if I'm hoping for like another black person to be in the same space. And then it's kind of it's kind of interesting to like observe um how they interact because you can always tell that there's gears turning in their brain when they're when they're talking with with different individuals um and like there's like almost like a like a like a delay or a pause 
just because like it's like translating like you like you hear this and then you you're like saying it in 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 your head you're like okay this is how i'd say it with my friends but this is how they're going to like re- receive the message yeah so, like, <laughs> i just wanted to get that so out there just crazy. just in case anyone like just just in case anyone sees me like you know processing a little too slowly it's not that i'm processing slowly it's just like i want to say it this way but like i know you're not gonna understand that's so yeah. crazy because like like i it, it literally would be like this like like I would be wanting to say like, "Yo, what's up?" But like, "Yo, what's good?" But like, what? Like, I'm saying that in my head, but that translates to, "Hey, hey, how are you doing?" Or, hey, hey, doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Wagwan's the worst one. Oh, I know. <laughs> Yo, like, what? what? What's that? <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're gonna wrap it up here in a little bit. Uh, we have one sort of final final question, then. Uh, We'll see where this takes us. Um, so the question, the, the, the question is where or how do you feel your race influences your experience and your environment? So you can talk about like, cause I know you're very involved in the, in the community, um, with game change nine and two ACE, um, and your, your holiday Turkey baskets and things like that. So I want to just, you know, sort of hear, hear from, you know, the, uh, the lion's mouth, like how, how this all came to be and how, how you're working with those, with those groups and, what what you're hoping to move and in, move into the future? Well, you know, I <clears throat> first thing I say is like I don't I try my best honestly to not even use the word hope anymore mm-hmm. because like I'm either doing it or I'm not or Facts. you're either getting on board or you're right. not. Um, right, right. Hope is like hope is passive. Um, That's true. So you know, like if I'm saying hope right there, you know, I'm saying that I hope I hope racism changes. That's like that's passive. I'm I'm like waiting, and so I'm just. So anyway, uh, I try not to use that word anymore because it's, it's, I find it a passive term. And so, you know, I think like, <clears throat> like first part of your question, like how it, uh, how the, my race and like ethnicity, color of my skin, like uh, influences um, like my, the spaces and like things that I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like your experiences. And, and like, I, I, have to, I have a layer to throw on that. How has that changed over time? So mm. has that changed over time yeah. in terms of just your different experiences at different points in your life? So, yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. So it's definitely changed because as, as I get to different points in my life, I sort of become a bit more aware, a bit more conscious, um, different perspectives of different lens. And so, you know, I could say that, um, in like elementary, for example, I'm not as conscious of the world. Like I'm just sort of, meeting people, having friends, and I'm not that conscious. But then as I start to get older and start experiencing racism, then you start to become a bit more educated and you lean into it a little bit more. And so you actually start noticing the nuances. And, you know, I think that the color of my skin impacts impacts the things that I do in a lot of different ways. Some are that, like, I know that some people see my skin color and me being a black black male as a, as a, as a weapon. Um, like, people are fearful. Um, just based on the color of my skin and that I'm black. And then, you know, I know that there's other folks, depending on uh, places and spaces and communities that I'm in, um, I'm celebrated um, because of all of the, all of the stuff that we're, we're going through and all the things that we're experienced. You know, I'm one of the people like I've kind of made it, like I've sort of made it out. Um, and now it's my job to pull some people back up. And so, you know, it depends on context and it sort of matters. And so, you know, in doing like some of these uh, um, these fundraisers, uh, doing some of these uh, nonprofits, you know, I'm very conscious that I'm a black man doing this. And so 
of course, you know, I take it as my responsibility to want to give back. But then I also think like, well, you know, I want to do my part to change some of the narrative, uh, the narratives that are out there. And so I'm going to fundraise the Christmas uh, turkeys and that, that type of thing that I do every year. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin. Like if you're in need, you're in need. But mm -hmm. I want people to see that it's a black person doing that. And then, you know, with the nonprofits, um, there's three of them that I'm a part of. And again, like two of them, like ACE, Arts, Community, Culture, Economics, and Game Changers 902, predominantly work with and work for and work alongside black community. Uh, but the other one, CLT 902, Community Land Trust, is all about affordable housing. And it's not about the color of your skin. And so, like, there's certain things that I do that I want people to consciously see that I'm a black person uh, doing these things, um, curating these events, facilitating these conversations, because we're not a monolith. Like I, 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 like, I don't represent all black people. What people see on TV doesn't represent all black people. And there's these said narratives that, 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 that have stuck with people around who black people are. And so very conscious in terms of who I am uh, and what I'm doing. Um, and sometimes it's even, you know, like it would be to the point of like, should I be saying this or should I be like this forceful um, knowing that I'm a black male and, you know, I might be asking a person for, uh, you know, a corporation for a donation. Um, you know, I, I might be speaking to a, a white woman, you know, and like, I'm just conscious of like how I present myself, how I speak, how I talk, um, how I say it, why I'm saying it, um, because you know, I just know historically um, some of those things have gotten uh, some people killed and gotten some people into different situations. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that are sort of, and maybe it's the same for both of you, but like there's a lot of things that are like percolating in my head. And then what comes out is sort of sometimes a distilled version of what I actually want to say, depending on the situation. I'm pretty outspoken for the most part, but, you know, I would say that I'm very, very conscious and very aware of who I am and how I, how I present myself and how some people may perceive that. Yeah. I think, I think you have to be that way period, no matter what you look like. But I think that's definitely heightened when, you know, you're, you're a black man. And I think the, the comment of, of the white woman is, is interesting because I think in our society, those are the two like black man, white women are the two most polarizing in terms of on opposite ends of the relativity spectrum like that have no no grounds to relate to each other so in those spaces where you know you don't really have those those common denominators to at least grab onto it, it can definitely be mind-boggling or just just like you're just but as part of the game and i think part of part of my thing of, of combating racism when you said you know hope hope is passive i i really like that my idea of combating it is brothers like yourself and, and everybody else just doing the work, getting into these spaces and opening doors. Because like you said, what you're doing is, is showing the next generation what's possible. And the further you go, the further the next person that's, that's watching you will be able to go. Right. And I think dismantling racism, like we have, we've been talking about all day starts at, at the top because this isn't, this isn't a, 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 a community issue or a, you know, a province issue. It's, it's a society issue across our whole Western society, right? From the top to the bottom. So it doesn't, it doesn't 
get changed overnight. You can't hope that, you know, the police force tomorrow is going to change their policies, but it starts at the bottom where you individuals like you, um, Namdi, myself, whatever, just pushing these doors open so that the next group can see what's possible and what, and what's available so that, you know, like you said earlier with the holding the baton, carrying it and moving forward. Um, that's how I think, in my opinion, you know, we get rid of racism. Well, well, yeah. And, you know, I think like simply put is like, you'll never change what you continue to tolerate. And, yeah, you know, I, I see it like two, two, two ways here is that racism facts is that black people didn't create it. Um, but we're asked to find the solutions to it. And so, you know, and, and it needs to not be seen as uh, something that white folks continue to tolerate and, and empathize with. Uh, it needs to be also be seen as their issue as well. Uh, yeah. Because we take it on fully as something that uh, is, is our issue because we experience it. So we want to get rid of it. But on the other side of the spectrum, white people, it's not something they experience. They actually benefit from these systems. And so it's something that they just continue to tolerate and then empathize with rather than wanting to eradicate it with the same energy that we have. Yeah, I definitely think our generation, especially over the last two years, has shown that, you know, obviously we we, we have some tools that I'm, you might say previous generations might have not had, but sure. that we're not going to be... Um, we're not going to sort of tolerate what what's happening and that we will, we will speak up and we will be outspoken. Um, and then again, like I said, you know, we're just, we're just picking up off of, you know, we're standing on the, on the, on the giants of shoulders on the shoulders of giants. So at the end of the day, what we build is, is um, will be built off of by, by the next generation. I think that's a, that's a good point to sort of end the conversation. Dorito, yeah. my brother, well, this, thank you. This is great. Great for a great convo. Um, Thank you. I've got I've got one quote. One quote. One okay. Quote. Okay. Um, is is the, the the tallest the tallest mountains have the best views? And certainly, when we're looking to tackle racism, it's a it's a friggin' it's a mountain. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can picture if you're hiking, if you've ever rock climbed, when you get to the top and you look and you look off, it's like wow, um, what a beautiful view. And so mm-hmm. one of these days. We're going to get to the top of the mountain and then be able to have that view. Um, but right now, we're climbing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great quote. Very well said. Very well said. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before we wrap up, I'd like to say shout out to our sponsors, the production team, Cohen McDonald for creating our logos, and Charles C. Ruth for our music. If you haven't already, subscribe to our socials to keep up with us, your hosts, and all things podcast. See you next episode. Come true, Melody. Come true, Melody. Come true, Melody.